Today, there are two million descendants of French-Canadian immigrants living in New England. These are our stories. Welcome to the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. Venez tous jeunes filles et garçons, je vais vous raconter l'histoire de notre immigration ici au USA, de grands aventuriers de pays étrangers. This is the French-Canadian Legacy Podcast. I am Jesse Martineau. Now, back in October of last year, while I was still actually in Quebec, episode 72, we spoke with then-candidate for mayor of Quebec City and head of Transition Quebec, Jackie Smith. And Jackie's actually uh, currently on the city council of Quebec Mm -hmm. City, which is very cool. Now, this week, I'm very excited to say we have another candidate on the show. Stephanie Plant is a candidate for city council in Ottawa, and I very much look forward to talking to her about her campaign. Stephanie, welcome. To the French Canadian Legacy Podcast. Bonjour. How are you? So, I'm doing very well. So let's start with your story. So where are you from? Where did you grow up? And before I begin, I hope it's okay to say today is actually the nationally francophone day in here in Ontario. It's like the day for francophone. So we all wear green and white. I mean, I know it's a podcast and you can't see, but I just want to say happy Franco-Ontarian today to all the Franco-Ontarians. And uh, thank you for having me on on this special day. Um, sure. So- and I can verify that she is wearing, in fact, a Ontario francophone shirt right now. Um, Yeah, so uh, just my mother is Swiss and my dad is Quebecois, like a lot of people. There's a big Quebecois diaspora out there. And my mom came to Canada in the 70s because she wanted to be a nanny and she wanted to learn how to speak English. She met my dad at a bar one night. He had a military uniform on. She thought he was really handsome. That's awesome. And thus produced me and my sister. There you go. (laughs) But my dad was a tradesman. So he ended up moving to a place called Windsor, Ontario, which is right near Detroit. And that whole area has a really interesting Francophone history as well. I'm sure you know all the streets in Detroit have really French names. Detroit is a French name. Lafayette, like... Anyway, um, and so I grew up in a very, very French household, like uh, like super strict in the sense, like if I said, you know, dad, the phone's for you in English, he wouldn't respond or pick up the phone. <laughs> sure, yeah. Sounds like my yeah. parents. And it got, like, he got so militant about his funkophony. Like, my dad grew up, I'm sure you know, in a really interesting time in Quebec. It was called the Quiet Revolution, where sure. Francophones really came to prominence. They really asserted themselves. And he had this idea like even he he would say like when he would go home they'd say his family would say to him how are things in canada like they Uh, don't consider themselves part of like the larger you know what i mean and so um he was really adamant that his children like he said you know i'm not the smartest dude on the planet but my kids will speak french this is the one thing i will leave them and i'm super happy that he left me that legacy like i remember so every year i would you know, we would put our money together and we would buy Detroit Red Wings versus Montreal Canadiens because my dad loved the Canadians. He was <laughs> could ra- he, t- he could rattle off statistics like it was nobody's That's business. Awesome. We would get to the border and my dad would because it's a federal crossing, right? And so he mm-hmm. would like just stop and like look at the border guard and speak to the border guard in French because you're supposed to be able to access French services at federal like government platforms whether that's getting your passport renewed or whatever and of course in the 90s like they didn't always have a french speaking person it wasn't as common as it is now and my dad didn't care he would literally just put the car in park and cars would be like piling up (laughs) wait until a francophone person can serve me because it's my right as a francophone and anyway i kind of grew up with that i don't want to say trolling that's maybe not the right word but i grew up with this idea that if you are someone in a minority linguistic situation you really have to assert yourselves in the areas where you can um so 
when I was, oh, I want to say 22, 23, like when the Earth's crust was still forming, essentially, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, I got a job with my member of parliament. So it's sort of like House of Representatives for you guys. Yep. And he one day came into my little cult intern office and said, like, is it true you speak French? And I went, yeah, I speak French. And he goes, oh, I need someone in Ottawa because obviously members of parliament represent their district, but they work primarily in Ottawa. He's like, pack your bags. You now have a job in Ottawa. And so That's I don't know. Awesome. Hi. And uh, so I ended up working for him for a couple of years. He ended up retiring. And then I worked at Elections Canada, which is like, you guys don't have this in the U.S., but it's essentially the national governing organization that organizes all our federal elections. I know you guys, it's like county by county, state by state. <laughs> we, could prob- we could probably use something similar. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Having a, a similar set of rules across the board is very helpful. But uh, I anyway. Um, and then, uh, yeah. And then for my sins, I say I'm now here <laughs> as a candidate in my municipal election. And it's my ward is really interesting. Um, it is probably the most francophone ward in the city. It has a very historical presence of francophones, but mm-hmm. um, it's slowly not becoming that. It's slowly becoming more and more anglicized, more and more anglophone as. You know, just in general, all of Canada is becoming more and more anglophone. It's 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 just sort of the demographics of the country and of this ward. But this ward definitely, I mean, you can walk down the street. All the streets are in French. There's a lot of French schools. You'll hear a lot of people speaking French. Um, but there is a bit of insecurity among francophones that that may not be the case in four, eight, 12 years from now. Sure. Which is, I mean, to be honest with you, before I started, this is probably the third episode we've done dealing with, with Ottawa. Before I started this, I had no idea that the francophone presence was as significant even as it is right now in Ottawa. Right. That, that was complete news to me for sure. But I guess my question is, because you mentioned your your ward is pretty heavy francophone. Is it mm-hmm. very clearly like, like geographic areas of the town that are francophone versus anglophone? Because I understand kind of a similar thing happens in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so we have an area called Vanier, who was named, that was named after like one of our first governor general. I'm like really getting into the weeds here. A governor general is like the Canadian, the, the representative of the king or queen of England and Canada. We, act, I'm not joking. We have the king and queen on our money. It's like a thing. It's a um, and yeah. so our first governor general, well, no, he was, I think our first Yeah, exactly. Um, his name was Georges Vanier. So this whole area named Vanier was super, like, when I say super francophone, like there were people who didn't even speak English back in yeah. the day. And I meet those people when I go door to door, you know, and they can remember when there was no anglicization at all of the area. They even had their own mayor. They had their own city council. Um, And then there's another area called Lower Town. I mean, you may kind of know it. You can it's really close to our parliament. It's uh, close to something called the Byward Market, which is the really touristy area around here. And uh, that area used to be really French as well, but sort of over the years has gotten, you know, as, you know, condos have gone up and businesses have developed, especially in the touristy areas, it's really more, I would say more Anglophone than Francophone. But I mean, in Vanier, you can, you know, there's lots of like fleur de lis everywhere and you can really feel sort of the Francophone presence there. Very cool. Yeah, And actually, I would like to kind of use that as a transition to talk about some of these issues that are clearly important to you in your campaign. Because the first one, of course, I wrote down was how important it was to you to promote la francophonie. That's very obvious in all your materials. So how do you plan on doing this? Well, thank you for looking at my website. Now my webmaster is going to be like, why are you getting hits from the U.S.? <laughs> I'll be able to tell him why. There you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so when you are at city and whether you're working at city hall you're a representative at city hall it's a bit of a struggle to sort of make sure that francophones get the services and the parks and rec 
they need. And so, for example, if I want to sign my son up right now for a swim lesson at his level, I can tell you it mm-hmm. won't be offered. Like, I, yeah. I know it won't be offered. They kind of offer sure. a lot for, like, really young kids learn to swim. But as they get older, they're offered less and less. We've had to go to Gatineau, which is the Quebec side. We live really, really close mm-hmm. to the Quebec side for Parks and Rec to at his level, like an age appropriate level, just to make sure they were in French. And, I, you know, I'm really lucky. I have a car. I can do that. And, right. you know, but then I have to pay the extra Parks and Rec fee because I'm not from in town and there's the gas to get there and, you know, scheduling. And it would be so much easier if those things were on the Ontario side. And so if I'm elected, that's absolutely something I want to address is the imbalance in Parks and Rec offerings. Because, as you know, if you don't offer it when they're little, it's not something they think that's important, right? Sure. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so the other thing too is uh, we want a more French daycares because we figure if kids can start school already having a really good base of French um, and they exist up these, these uh, all French daycares, there's just not that many of them. Then the kids mm-hmm. will start great French grade school speaking French really well, which is really important because right now we have a lot of Anglophones that want to learn to speak French, which is great. And they want to come into our schools, but then, you know, their, their language is a bit taking over and you hear a lot of English in the hallways, in the classroom. And we're hoping to kind of reverse that trend by offering services at a very young age that can help kids and the parents develop their French and be really proud about speaking French. It's a cool language, as you know. Absolutely. Now, you, you mentioned school a couple of times. That reminds me. So are there the like the French school board and the English school board with different public schools and fighting for the same resources thing that we hear about in certain places in Quebec, too? Is that how it works in Ottawa? That is correct. Yeah. So what it ha- what happened, you'd have to go all the way back to our constitution, but essentially in Ontario, we have four school boards. I believe it's super regional in the US. It's not as bad here. Like they kind of distribute the money evenly across the province, but we have English public, French public, French Catholic, English Catholic. And, uh, you know, as Canada diversifies, there's been some ch- calls to change that and just make everything public. But um, there's definitely some ties with the French Catholic and the traditional Francophone community. But yeah, no, we have four school boards. So in the election coming up, you get to vote for your chosen school board. You vote for your counselor. So that's what I'm running for. And then you vote for yep. the mayor. You have three things you vote for. Gotcha. That that was specifically for Mike. Mike, you're welcome. Mike is an elected member of his school board in his hometown. Oh, nice. Hudson, New Hampshire. Uh, but one thing I saw that was kind of cool, you talked about the your belief in the 15-minute neighborhood, which was not something I was familiar with prior to looking at your material. So what is the 15-minute neighborhood? Uh, well, obviously, and I, I say this, I'm from Windsor. I love a good F-150. Like, I'm not going to lie. I went to the Detroit Auto Show my whole life. Like, I had a love affair with cars. Um, and then my life kind of took a different turn because I stayed downtown Ottawa. And if you have an F-150, like, I don't know where you're going to park it. There's just nowhere to put it. And <laughs> quite frankly, it would look really out of place. Like, and so sure. in my word, especially because it is so urban and a lot of people rely on public transit or they're walking, you want to make a neighborhood where the, you, that can meet the needs of people living here. So they have to be able to find their doctor, their daycare, possibly their work, if, if that's possible, their groceries, their dentist, um, parks. We want to make sure all the amenities are accessible within a 15 minute walk, bike ride, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Again, this is Ottawa. No one's biking from like November yeah. to March, April. I mean, there are, but those people are really hardcore. Sure, um, yeah. And so, yeah, that's the idea of a 15 minute neighborhood. And it's in the official plan of the city. And obviously this is more challenging out in the suburbs and the rural areas, but that's something I really champion because especially as people get older, you want to be, let them what they call age in place, right? You don't necessarily want to send them to like a, 
uh, old age long-term care center or anything like that. So the idea that you can just leave your apartment, you go get your groceries that evening, you can find a hardware store, you can find everything you need. And again, it may not have everything you need. Like our grocery stores sometimes, you know, don't have really out there like gluten-free chocolate chip, you know, like you have to kind of just deal with what you're getting, but Overall, we I think we do a pretty good job of the 15-minute city, but it could use some improvements. Yeah, and I guess – because this is I guess, kind of a new thing for me. Well, how close are we to that now, and what do you think – what has to change in order to actually get to where you want to go? Oh, that's an excellent question. So the city of Ottawa doesn't have what they call an acquisition strategy, which is really technical fun terms to mean when – as they're building out, because more people are moving here, like I'm sure where you live, they're kind of just – putting in homes everywhere. And they're not thinking about where do I want my library? Where do I want my community center? Where do I want my arena? That's really important. It's an arena around here. Of course. Um, And so one of the things I want to do if elected is make sure the city has like a comprehensive acquisition strategy. So as we develop and as we put in more houses and more high rises, we can think about what kind of public amenities we can offer these communities and we can plan for it adequately because now it's kind of a bit hodgepodge and, or some communities that have no community centers whatsoever, very little parks, or some communities that have an abundance of parks. And anyway, so we kind of have to make make it more balanced. And uh, that's one of the things I hope to do with, like I said, the acquisition strategy. So in Montreal, which I'm surprised actually Jackie didn't talk about this because it's really great. They have something called a right of first refusal. And so any commercial property that goes for sale, the, six, the city has the first dibs on it. Like really? the city can say, yeah, yeah. Oh, that, that strip mall. That's really interesting. Do we want, I think they have it for like 30 days or 60 days. I forget now. And obviously the owner doesn't have to accept their offer, but it allows the city to say like, Oh, maybe we want to, this area doesn't have a library. We want to put a library or this area, they could use some public housing because there's, there's an overabundance of public housing in the uh, neighboring ward or whatever the city feels right. is best. And so I kind of hoping we can get that here as well. And that's something I'm definitely championing when I go door to door. It's like I said, it's kind of technical, but people get it. No, no, that's a terrific idea. No, that's very, very cool. And one of the things that jumped off the page for sure, when looking at your material is you talk about the creation of a physician recruitment Mm. committee and that rang a bell for me because we here in the state, I mean, I've been a state representative a couple of times and you hear in political debates, People reference the system in Canada a lot. Some people talk about it as the greatest thing in the history of the world because everybody has coverage. Other people talk about how it's the worst thing in the history of the world because you have to wait 80 days to talk to anybody. What does it look like for you guys in Ottawa and how are we going to make that better? So that's a really interesting question. We have a lot of like really world-class hospitals. We have, I think three, I should know this, (laughs) but we have, we don't have any in my ward, but I know we have three. Uh, I've given birth at one of them. There you go. <laughs> um, and the hospitals actually do a really good job of recruiting specialists. So heart disease, sure. you know, all that stuff. They're very good at it. What we're not good at, or actually we're quite terrible, if I can be frank, is recruiting family doctors. Yeah. Um, and yes, you are correct. The Canadian system is supposed to be equal and accessible to all. There's obviously delays. And the thing that I hear more often and that we're kind of in a crunch about is the lack of family doctors. So in my word, I have the University of Ottawa, which is Canada's largest bilingual university. It has a med school. Very specifically, it has a department of family medicine. And they graduate about 40 to 50 doctors a year, and none of them stay in Ottawa. They get recruited to go to other cities. You know, they get perks. They get, like, their student loans forgiven. They get a whole bunch of things. And 
it's caused a big problem. Like we, I go to Dorda and I hear things like, you know, I have to go all the way to Toronto, which is four hours away just to see my family doctor from 10 years ago. I know. <laughs> that's crazy. No, that's crazy. Or they only have telehealth service, which is like a, a virtual service with like, can you imagine like showing your doctor, like what was wrong with your arm or something like, yeah, on right, right, right. Yeah. And so, and what I don't understand, and and this is why I really want to kind of grab the grads, like the future grads while they're in the city is that they spend about six years here. They spend four years doing their undergrad and then two years doing their residency in our community settings. And I don't know why they don't stay. And so I, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I just want to do things like survey them, survey local doctors, and maybe offer some nice little carrot perks. Like, I'm sorry, we, you know, we have to kind of address the reality that we don't have enough family doctors and a lot of municipalities are offering perks. And so my hometown municipality, they recruited four family doctors this year, which is a big deal for a city of 300,000 people by yeah. simply offering free daycare. That's it. There was sure. four like couple, like, so it's two couples and it cost the city about 60 to $80,000, I think. And like the money they're saving on paramedics, on emergency room services, because, you know, people will go to the emergency when they don't have a family doctor. Um, is just astronomical. And so I just, um, you know, you kind of have to be upfront and say, we have a problem. Things are not working, especially for our most vulnerable. And this is one of the ways, there's a multitude of ways, but this is one of the ways I can address it. I can't do things like address the billing structure or the Canadian healthcare system. Like that's not my kind of lane. I have a university, I have a medical school and I want to work with them if I'm elected to keep the grads here in Ottawa. That's kind of my lane that I can work. And I'm like, my dog is like, <laughs> my dog <laughs> wants to join the podcast. I don't know if you can hear him, but no, okay, sorry. He's invited. Um, and so that's kind of what I'm hoping to accomplish or at least get off the ground. Yeah. I mean, to me, that's just very foreign because if there's a giant community in need of doctors or we are, that's a great business opportunity for somebody who just came out of school yeah. to be able to yeah. jump into that situation. But Obviously, yeah. very, very different where you are. For sure. But, and um, when I lived in Windsor, a lot of people went to Detroit for care. Like a ton of people just because it was faster. Yeah, you had to pay out of pocket. But if you had the means to pay out of pocket, you could. Right. Or just, you know, they just felt like there was more specialists. There was more options because Windsor's pretty small. But I mean, again, I can only work in the lane that I'm legislated to work into. And so I think if we kind of get the grads make them feel guilty. I don't know. <laughs> I'm kidding by the way, but <laughs> yeah, sure. No, provide an incentive for them to stay there. Absolutely. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, speaking of people living in the area, one issue that I saw that's certainly a huge deal here in Manchester is the supply of affordable housing. That's mm-hmm. a major, major deal in Manchester right now. Rents in the city are going yep. completely nuts. So we have yep. a bunch of new apartment complexes going up all the time. But they're almost exclusively luxury apartment complexes because all these developers want to make sure to make it tons of money. And as a result, some of the lower in-class, even middle-income people yeah. are really struggling to find a place they can afford to pay rent. So what are we looking at in Ottawa? What can we do about it? We have a little – we're a bit unique, I think, over here because as I'm talking to you, we have a lot of empty government buildings. So when the pandemic hit, federal government – you know, you know, like Washington, like – Anywhere else, so there's a lot of federal government workers. Of um, and let me tell you, they are kicking and screaming to not go back to the office full time, uh, which sure. is kind of great in a weird way for this housing crisis because there's a lot of empty government buildings and they're spread out throughout the city. So one of the things I have in my platform is I want to start this conversation like 
in French, we say, c'est quoi le plan de match, which is like a hockey term. Like, what is your plan for the season? Mm -hmm. um, because they haven't said what that is. And I just don't think we have time anymore to dilly-dally. We have a housing crisis. We have these empty buildings. And the nice thing about these empty buildings is you're not sort of squabbling over height and width and parking. Like, it's already all there. So when you're entering into these conversations about, you know, converting them into affordable housing and by affordable, I, I don't mean necessarily social housing, which is great too. We need more of that. But of like course. I said, for that missing middle who for a one bedroom, they don't want to pay $2,500 a month and can't afford exactly. it. I mean, that's wild, yeah. right? Correct. Yep. Um, and so that's one of the things is I want to start those conversations with the government and with whoever is also elected in the other wards where they have a lot of government buildings to basically beg for these buildings um, and say, hi, I know you're thinking of bringing your workers in like on two days a week. You don't need your whole building for everybody coming in two days a week. You maybe need half your building. Can we turn half of that into housing? Can we get this building and you toss everyone into another building? Like there's ways we can work around this that don't involve, you know, developers. And, and I'm not, there's a bit of vilification of developers in Ottawa right now. And don't get okay. me wrong, they kind of deserve that vilification. They've done some really <laughs> interesting things over the years. But the I reality bet. is we have to work with them, right? We have of to course. work with trades people. So if we can work with them under parameters of stuff that already exist, to me, that's a lot easier than building something from scratch. Yeah, for sure. It definitely creates an interesting situation. It certainly does here in Manchester, I would imagine there. Because a lot of times developers come in and they will take over what was semi-lower income places and then all of a sudden now build it up to super expensive yep. high loft giant buildings that are now can charge way, way more than they ever had. But you know, what happens to all those people who that was their neighborhood yeah. before? Another th issue, I'm just kind of flying through here because I think it's interesting because you have a lot of interesting stuff that definitely rang true because it seems to connect either with what I'm dealing with here in Manchester or what I saw in Quebec City. And one of the things that definitely caught my attention because you talked about it all the time when I lived in Quebec was the transit situation. Oh, God. Could not yes. go. You could not go five minutes talking about anything local politics without discussing their transit situation. So what are we looking at in Ottawa right now? How does that get better? Well, if you're interested too, the Quebec actually has a provincial election going on right now. And like it's front and center in that election as well. Um, sure. So it's a big deal. Yeah. So we have something called the light rail, which actually took off. Like it took a couple years to build and it was, it took off right before the pandemic. We, there were the first ride, I believe was like October, 2019. And then, oh my God. So then they were like, the wheels are not adjusted for the winter, which is absurd because we have a lot of winter. And then there was sure. a lot of problems with public-private partnership. And they found out a lot of things. There's this like whole commission investigation going on right now. And then on top of that, because they had the LRT, which by the way, when it runs good, it runs really well. It's just okay. a lot of the time, it's not even running at all. So sure. problem. Um, they, they got rid of a lot of our bus fleet, which was serving the area kind of in and around the LRT. So not only do we not have the LRT that doesn't work, we don't have the buses to support the LRT when it's not working. So it's kind of a hot mess gotcha. all over the city. No matter where yeah. you live, it's, it's a mess. And in my word, we have three stops to the LRT. Um, and initially we thought we were really lucky, but turns out you kind of careful what you wish for, right? So one of the things I have on my platform is number one, I will implement the recommendations of the LRT commission. So we have this whole commission. There's a judge who's looking into the problems with the LRT um, because this will kind of inform any public private partnerships going forward. Cause that's what the LRT was. And the other t thing too, is whoever wins the mayorship 
I think that's the right word. They will be doing kind of a reorg of a lot of our bus services. So I want to make sure that none of the communities in my area are affected because we are downtown and a lot of people rely on the bus exclusively. And then the last thing, and then there's other things, but this, I think this one is also important is so on Thursdays in Ottawa, most of our museums are free. So I Mm want to make our bus and our LRT free on Thursdays so that way people are coming to the downtown core. They maybe go for dinner, they're spending some money. And then you can also to plan your day around that Thursday. Maybe you have a doctor's appointment downtown. Maybe you want to go see the movie theater, you know, like I kind of want people to kind of center their thinking of tourism and visits and special days around my ward because I want to show it up. So yeah. (laughs) It's good for business for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like there's a, there's some people that think we need to have completely free transit. Like I I think in Boston now, the mayor put in completely free transit. I could be wrong, but she has, is that what she did? I, yeah, I, I know the people have talked about it for sure. I know Jackie had talked about it when yeah. she was running for mayor. Right. So um, I'm not so sure I'm sold on that only because we do. I think we need to reorganize the lines more effectively before we look into that. But if we can definitely pilot like a one day free, I think that's a good start. And then we can go from there. I appreciate the one day free museum pass. That was cool. That's always fun. Hey, if ever you come, let me know. Happy to take you. So I, I mean, I was just it's funny. I was just up in. Um, Quebec City. We went up for the like our Labor Day because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, great holiday weekend. I'm going to go up there, have a long weekend. It's not going to be super packed, super packed. I'll come to find out, it's you know, it's the holiday there too. So <laughs> I was I was not getting ahead of anybody, but it happened to be the first Sunday of the month. First Sunday right. of the month up there is free free museums. And one thing that is kind of a fun aside, which I thought was really strange when I first started, because I worked, I did some hanging up of those signs um, for during Jackie's campaign. Oh, and nice. And they said to only put it up in public spaces, which to me was completely backwards because here where I am, all the lawn signs go only on private people's home, like lawns and spaces. If you put anything on a public space, the Department of Public Works is going to come take it down and you're going to lose that sign. So very, very, very different approach. Yeah. And we have public, I mean, we're getting really in the weeds now. We also have public financing for our campaign. So you can't be like a super PAC. They have, I mean, they have a version of it called third parties, but they're really restricted to like, I think $40,000. You can't raise much more than that. And then when you donate to a candidate here, you get a tax rebate. So the government is actually sponsoring your sort of democratic engagement by saying, okay, you donate to that party and then you get 50 bucks at tax time or whatever. Gotcha. And okay. So one other thing I wanted to touch upon because I don't want to steal too much of your time here but one of the one thing I did want to touch upon that again topic I saw all the time when I was living up in Quebec City for the six months was the issue of kind of the challenges facing a lot of the First Nations and kind of what what can be done here so I guess maybe can you give us kind of a a ballpark of what we're looking at now in Ottawa and what's the what's the road going forward yeah well first of all thank you for asking um not a lot of people ask about that and that's a very important subject for all of Canada, not just the nation's capital. It's uh, reconciliation with our First Nations people should be top of mind um, in any election campaign, whether it's municipal, provincial or federal. Our First Nations, we're, I actually think we're really lucky in this ward because we have a lot of Inuit people because we're like a feeder city, like a, like a medical hub, cultural hub for people living in Nunavut, Northwest Territories and Yukon, which is our kind of like, kind of like our Alaska. You know what I mean? Yeah, right, right. Yep. And so they come here for school, medical services. We have like schools where kids learn a nuktatuk. They take a nuktatuk all day long, which is the language they speak up there. I'm very adamant that there's two things in my platform. Number one, 
I, I don't actually have a platform for the Inuit and First Nations because I actually think they can, they're independent. They can decide what they want to do and they can decide what their needs are. I'm just like the sure. vessel for them to get that, help them achieve that. I'm yeah. not going to come in and tell them what they need. They're going to tell me what they need. Of course. Um, and the second thing is I want our uh, municipality to officially recognize September 30th, which is orange shirt date, like with funding and programming and, you know, some sort of uh, citywide aspect to it, as well as in my ward, uh, November 7th is really important, which is World Inuit Day, because we have about 3,000 Inuit living in my ward, and we want to make them feel at home, because guess what? It's cold here for a couple months, too, but not as cold as where yeah. you are. So, yeah, we sure. want to celebrate the art that they do. We want to celebrate their culture. And we're really lucky because her, the Governor General, again, our we talked about the Governor General, Mary yep. Simon, she is Inuit. And so... Yeah. Um, she wants to come. I'd love to have her. <laughs> Very nice. So what was that first holiday you had mentioned? It's called Orange Shirt Day. Um, Orange and sorry Shirt for not Day. explaining. Yeah, yeah it's no a worries. day to recognize our, um, sadly, our residential school system, which we had here in oh, Canada. Yeah. Which, yep. Yeah. And the long lasting effects this has had on First Nations. And um, there, it's there's talk about actually making it a national holiday. I think that's a great idea, actually, to make sure. it a national holiday. But in the interim, I want the city to be more proactive on the programming we do and the awareness we do. Um, we I, and then, to be fair, like our libraries do a great job and our schools do a great job. But it would be nice if the city did uh, did a little bit more as well. That is actually a topic that I knew basically nothing about the residential school situation until I lived up in Quebec and. Having lived there, it was, it was almost embarrassing how little I knew going in, considering how, what a crazy situation, what a super sad story a lot of that is. It's probably deserving an entire episode eventually here on the podcast. But um, something that I did want to talk about, because um, it's definitely important to me, is preserving the history of the place where I live. I'm certainly very involved here in Manchester, and I know mm-hmm. you are as well in Ottawa. So what? how can we – well, first of all, what – what does the history locations look like that we want to preserve? And what are we talking about for promoting those? Well, good question. So I absolutely believe, and it's not really my lane because it's provincial, but I absolutely believe our schools Mm -hmm. are probably the best vessel by which we can preserve our language and our culture. Um, Kids going to French schools, speaking French all day, listening to French music, watching French YouTube. Like that's one of the best ways they can not only retain the language, but make French culture sort of popular around the world. So I'll just give you an example. My son sadly plays too much video games. <laughs> and uh, I insist that he play with French gamers because that way he's at least talking in French and playing in French and swearing in French and whatever. There and so, yeah. And, but that is such a great way for, uh, you know, he hears different accents, you know, from like Francophone Africa or like Belgium or France. And, they, you know, they, they strategize together and it's just a way to inculcate more French into his brain without him even realizing it because he's loving what he's doing. And so sure. I think if we can do these like types of little tiny things, like anytime we watch Netflix, we make sure it's turned on to French. So even if it's an English program, we're listening to it in French. And I don't know if you guys actually have those options in the US, but in Canada, you have to, like you, uh, the government mandates, if you want English programming, it has to be also available in French for a certain percentage of entertainment. And so, you know, we have those options when you turn on Netflix to make your Netflix in French. So right now it's just instinctual for him, right? He logs on, he watches TV. It's all like he watches the Simpsons in French, like Homer Simpson (laughs) in French. Um, Yeah. And so I just, I just think it, it takes a lot of kind of memory, but eventually it just is automatic and you just know to kind of turn your brain 
to make everything in French, but it's, you know, parents need a lot of guidance. They like, I've spoken to parents who didn't even know Netflix was available in French, who don't think yeah. they can send the children to French school or French immersion because they don't speak French at home. And um, it's just kind of letting parents know what their rights are and why it's important for their children to kind of be the next generation of kids who will wear hats like the one you're wearing right now. <laughs> yeah, always do a Michael Beck hat. That's very awesome. Yeah, yeah your hat's you great. Make- is this cool that you mentioned video games? Sorry, quick aside. Um, one of the first people that I was fortunate enough to connect with through the podcast was somebody's now a big friend of mine in Drummondville. He's a teacher there, and uh, he actually learned English because he wanted to play video games. Oh, and there yeah. There's more oh, options yeah, to connect yeah. with people in English than there were right. in French. So that's the entire reason he learned English to begin with. That's awesome. Video games, which is kind of wild. It's again, something I never think of. But this has been cool. We could definitely do this forever. But one question I absolutely have to yeah. ask. Before we go, uh, because this is something obviously super important to me in that, oh wait, just different from the campaigning in general, there's a Facebook group that's important to a lot of us here called Rev de Gagnon. It does an excellent job. The entire purpose of the group is to try to connect Franco-Americans with our cousins in Quebec, trying to find similar Yay. issues, things, similar interests, that kind of thing. The whole idea, you know, we do share a history. That does not mean we can't share a future as well. And I'm curious, mm-hmm. what can we do? How do we connect better as a Franco-Americans with some of the Francophone communities in Ottawa also? Well, that's a, that's a really great question. Um, well, first of all, what you're doing is fantastic. Like I learned about you from, you know, I really admire Jackie Smith. And then I saw that she was on your podcast. And now a friend of mine was like, what's this podcast? She lives in Saskatchewan, which is a further west. Part. So I was <laughs> cool. like, oh, I appreciate this. that. You know, that's sure. how we kind of make those links with the, the greater community because you know, as, as, as cheesy as it sounds, we're stronger when we know we're all out there and you're not alone, right? For sure. Um, the other thing I think is really interesting is the model they have in Louisiana. And so my mom, when I was, oh my God, like 11 or 12, she's a teacher and she went to mm-hmm. Louisiana for a couple months to teach French. It was like some sort of exchange program. And Gosh. I remember going down to visit her and visiting the Superdome and the French Quarter. And I think like those kind of exchange programs are so valuable because- I did not know the history of Louisiana or that it was so French or like that they're trying to sort of revive the French there in the school system. And I think those things are so, so important. Even inter, like they have programs here in Canada where kids from Quebec can go to France and go to school for free and kids from France can come to Quebec and go to school for free. I just think that sort of exchange is, is so valuable because it sort of shows that we're not alone. Like, uh, not that I hang out in France all the time, but my friends who are there, (laughs) there's, a lot of English that's kind of creeping into the language. Like you'll say, j'étais avec mon manager pour un hamburger. Like they are really now okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's important that we sort of uplift each other and it's important that we know we're out there and, you know, don't be embarrassed. Like I have people who are saying, oh, I don't want to speak French because my French is so bad. I'm like, yeah, like don't worry, say what you need to say. Like if you want me to correct you, I will, but I'm not going to not speak to you because you're speaking slower or you're trying to find your words. Like, it's like anything in life. You just have to kind of keep at it and hopefully, you know, we can keep the language going strong with, you know, and what you're doing is a perfect example. And probably my, my favorite example is the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like they are terrible, but their fans stick with them. And eventually that will pay off, right? So. <laughs> very, very, that is true. But this has been 
an awesome opportunity. Again, we've been speaking with Stephanie Plant, candidate for city council in Ottawa. Stephanie, if someone has interest in your campaign, where should we send them? Oh my, so many spots. So I'm not on TikTok and that's on purpose because I'm old. So my website is um, stephanieplant.ca. So it's S-T-E-P-H-A-N-I-E-P-L-A-N-T-E, like the goalie.ca. Don't add the like, like goalie. It. It's just stephanieplant.ca. Um, and then my Instagram is at cisantrois, so S-I-X-U-N-T-R-O-I-S. And then it's just Stephanie Plant. You'll find me on Twitter or um, Facebook, but I'm probably more active on Instagram because I just find it's the most user-friendly. Awesome. Well, Stephanie, thank you very much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Bonjour, Now our fathers look at us and sigh with despair To think that everything they love we simply do not share But the spirit never dies, our culture will survive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Each of us must choose how much to keep alive Special thanks to Josie Vashon for providing the music. You can find more about her at josievashon.com. This podcast was produced and edited by Mike Campbell. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at fclpodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at fclpodcast for more information about the topics discussed. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this episode.